Beyond Belief on Claire FM. You're tuned to Beyond Belief on Claire FM this Sunday evening. And I'm delighted to say that with us in the studio is Pius Murray. Now, Pius, you will remember from our previous programmes, organises walks in the Burren. And you can find him on walkwithpius.com. And you may remember that we've had three episodes of your walks, Pius, and they certainly proved very popular. They've been downloaded because they're also available as a podcast, and so people have been downloading them, and, and now the lockdown is, is easing. Hopefully they'll be out actually trying to walk them and enjoying the joys that the Burren has. So, delighted that you're here, and I thought it would be good to, to get you in just to find out a bit more about you. Well, I live in Curfin, which is on the southern edge of the burn. Uh, that's Curfin County Clare, because I'm a Galway man, and there is a Curfin County Galway. Oh. So this is Curfin County Clare. So that's where I live. It's a beautiful location because we are actually are on the southern edge of the burn. Uh, from my front door, I can see the iconic Mullock Moor. It's a very popular walking spot for people. So I've lived there since about 2006. I retired from teaching in 2012 and I had a kind of a tradition with my children in school that we went out into the burn every single year for three or four walks. Normally it was my confirmation class so we did a thing called walking in the footsteps of Coleman so we visited some of the Coleman sites in the burn. So when I retired I had kind of built up quite a body of knowledge about Coleman and about some of the sacred sites and some of the special places in the burn. So I found actually that I had local people and people from Gort, because I taught in, in the parish of Gort in Kiltartan National School beside Cool Park. I found that people were kind of ringing me up and asking me, would I accompany visitors or would I get involved with a, a walk and act as a guide? So I was kind of doing that unofficially for a little while. And then I attended a walking course that Emer McCarthy, who was the Rural Recreation Officer for County Clare at the time, invited me to take part in, and it kind of picked up from there. At the moment, they're very much international because I work with an American company called Wild West Irish Tours, so they send me a lot of visitors every year, this year, of course, being an exception, none at all this year. They're hoping that some will come in September, October, but I don't think it'll happen. And the unusual thing about it is when these people come into the burn, normally when you do a guided walk, a guided walk might last two and a half or three hours, but these visitors actually come and they stay a few days in the burn and I bring them around the burn for three days. So I usually do a walk in the heart of the burn and visit some of the sacred sites there. Then the next day we go to Inishir. And we do a tour of the island and we take in the cliffs on the way back. And then on the last day, we usually do a coastal tour uh, along uh, from Benlacken Castle around to Fenor. We usually visit John O'Donoghue's grave and see his birthplace, the Cahar Valley, and come around by Ballyvaughan, maybe even take in Kirkham Abbey. So I find that really lovely because you're with the same group of people. It could be a group of eight people 
maybe maximum 12, sometimes as little as four, and you're with them for three days. So you give them a really good sense mm. of the sacred places in the burn and the beauty of the burn as a karst landscape as well. So that's one group. And then last year, I started working with one or two bus tour groups. They're not my favourite in the sense that they just want you to walk for an hour or an hour and a quarter. So it's kind of a little bit more pressurised, whereas I don't I don't particularly like that sort of style. But I, I oblige them. Yes. One of the groups is actually French because I happen to be able to speak a bit of French. So I managed to get by with my smattering of French. And then other than that, people phone me. And they're either clubs or associations or sometimes just simply families. And they ask me, could we arrange to have a walk in the burn? And that's what we do. So it's a mixture. Mm. It's interesting talking about having your visitors in the burn for three days, because there's a lot of criticism, isn't there, about tourism that relies on people just coming in for an hour or Mm. two and then flying away again. You know, they uh, get on the bus in Dublin and they tick off the cliffs of Mar and and perhaps they they do something on the burn and then they're back in Dublin and and no money's been spent. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the difficulties. In fact, yeah, quite a lot of the tours you're talking about there, they don't actually stop for a walk in the burn at all. It is very much, they just pop into the place and then go away again. The only thing I would say, Stephen, that's positive about that is that for people who might be students or people who haven't a, a, a great amount of income when they're young, they come to see the burn and it might kind of click something in their head and say, I'm going to come back here when I'm older or I'm going to come back here at a later date and get a better taste of it. So in one sense, I find it's okay, but you're absolutely right. Uh, It's a very little economic benefit to the burn. It's good that you're at least bringing a sustainable tourism and the area's taking money from them. Oh, yes. Yeah, because they're staying in a and b for at least three nights, maybe four nights in some cases. They're having lunch somewhere in the burn they're having an evening meal they'll very often go to music sessions and you know they like you know the Americans like to buy their whiskies in a genuine Irish pub and um, you know for them, it's real memories. Yeah, and great experience. I yeah. mean, what a great way to see the burn, you yeah. know, to take your time and, and go around and sample it all. You touched on the fact that you had been a, a teacher mm. uh, in Gort. So how did you come by that? Where were you born? I was born in the town of Pertumna, which is in East Galway, on the River Shannon, just at the northern end of Loch Derg. And I was a real townie because my mother was the postmistress in the town. So we were Murrays of the post office because there were other Murrays around the place. You know, people who live in the countryside will be familiar with that, that if you have similar family names, you have to locate them somewhere. So I went to school there, but I went to boarding school for a few years in Carmelite College in Castle Martyr in County Cork. And I have to say, I really enjoyed the experience there. And people might say, what brought a boy from Portumna in East Galway to Castle Martyr in East Cork? And I had relatives in the order. And it was common, actually, for Galway boys to go to school there. So it was boarding school, but I found the Carmelites to be absolutely wonderful, wonderful people. They left a really positive mark on me. And uh, I came back, actually, then I did my Leaving Cert in Portumna. And when I did my Leaving Cert, I decided I wanted to do teaching. And I went off to St. Patrick's Training College in Drumcondra in Dublin and uh, trained there. And 
I'm giving away my age now, Stephen. <laughs> I was the last of the NTs. NT is national teacher. When I was a second year, the first years were B.Eds. Right. So if you were a B.Ed, you're younger than me. <laughs> I was the last of the NTs. So I taught in Dublin for 10 years in two schools. And then I came down to Galway and I taught in Gort Town for seven years. And then I taught in Kiltartan. I was principal of Kiltartan National School for nearly 20 years. So I had a teaching career of 36 years yeah. and a little bit. Yeah. And then I retired. <laughs> <laughs> Your talks and your walks are very much spiritually guided, aren't they? Mm. Early early Celtic Christianity forms a big part of the thread that runs through yeah. the walking. Yeah, that's true because, uh, yeah, I'm very influenced by the early Irish monastic church. And, you know, I have a feeling that the early Irish monastic church was very nature-orientated and there was a strong connection with nature. And there were some lovely practices that are uh, associated with that early church. The Americans would call it Celtic church, Celtic pilgrimage. And um, I used to bring children out to, we'll say, something like Coleman's Hermitage and Uchtmama, that's another Coleman site, and, of course, Corker, his birthplace, which is very near the school, and uh, Chirneven and Kilmacdua, which are all Coleman sites. But when you went to a place like Coleman's Hermitage, you had the children going into Coleman's cave, and kind of having the experience of darkness into light and kind of building a story around that and then going to the well and doing a healing a ritual at the well with water. And so I would have introduced a ritual. So the children would have done a ritual with earth on the paving, uh, water at the well, uh, air. They would do a little meditation at Coleman's uh, church there, the little oratory there, and fire we always did something with nightlights because it was the idea of the spirit and mm. confirmation was you were welcoming the spirit. So, and then we would have always finished our little uh, ceremonies out in the burn with, with the dance. So we would do a little circular dance. And to me, it was something that children loved and they could kind of relate to. And they loved the connection with nature. Very often when we went out there, it was a time when flowers were in bloom and where there was plenty to smell and plenty to taste and plenty to see. So I think, yeah, it was something memorable for the children. Mm. They, we took lots of photographs. They did little stories and little sketches and they all had their scrapbook. So when it came to their confirmation day, they all had the scrapbook where it was called uh, Walking in the Footsteps of Coleman. And parents said to me afterwards that it was one of the things that they treasured. But of course, all of this was done you know, outside school hours. Because right. I was teaching three classes during the day. So it was at a time when uh, you could bring children out from school from three to six in the evening and spend that time at the burn. Yes. And when, you know, with health and safety and all those regulations, yes. uh, a parent would come with me. Yes. So And the groups were always small. Sometimes there might be only four or five children in sixth class. Sometimes there might be eight. So it was a very manageable group. So mm. it was kind of, you could do lots with a, with a small group like that. Yeah. But the benefit of that was that um, when I retired, I had a quite a good grounding yes. on the, as you say, the spirituality of the early monastic church. Yes. And I had 
practice doing rituals with children and it was just a matter of kind of adapting them yes. to older groups and to adults. Yes. And and do you find the Americans can relate to that as well? Yes, they absolutely love it. They yeah, they're they're thrilled because it's something that they, they they don't really have an idea of at all. So when you stop, sometimes we'd be driving through the burn and I would come to a well, for example, Cullum Kill as well, in Glen Cullum Kill, and we would stop the, the minibus and we would all file out and walk in the lane into the well and then do the rounds and then take the water, do the healing and do a little bit of um, blessing around it and maybe some positive affirmations. And they go away and they, I mean, basically they're totally in awe yeah. of what they've experienced. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's rather something simple, but for them, it's something that they just wouldn't experience in America, in yeah. the States. Yeah. And I suppose for them as well, perhaps they feel that they're engaging with their, their heritage as oh, well yes. to an extent, you know, that oh, yeah. uh, uh, their great grandfather or something like that might have uh, been there and, and done something similar, perhaps. Oh, yeah, I agree. That it's something they may have read about or some stories they have heard about the whole idea of pilgrimage, of Celtic pilgrimage, of holy wells, of pattern days. And for them, then they actually experience it. And that's I mean, that's a very strong part of my walks that uh, I don't really want people to spend the whole time listening to me. So I want them to actually participate and in any given walk that you would walk with me, you probably participate in six or seven different things. And they would all be related to the, the early monastic tradition. Um, for example, one of them would be encircling. So we, when we start a walk, we do um, a body prayer called the Cam. And it comes from the Hebridean Islands. And it's the idea that the spirit comes to us from all directions. So you get everybody in silence just to stand with their hands out. And they face north, east, south, west and back to north. And it grounds them then, it kind of gives them the, the feeling, okay, this walk is different. And then you head off. And then, of course, you have the tradition of doing the rounds at the well. They love that idea. The idea then of doing a blessing and that there's a, a well has a healing. It's an eyesight well or it's a headache well or Colin Kill's well actually has a cure for leg ailments, which is very unusual. And, you know, the idea then that they're doing something that... Uh, it is explained to them, so yeah. they understand what they're doing. And, uh, they, yeah, as you say, it's participative. They, they, they're actually taking part in, they're doing things all the time. And what part does religion play in your life? Well, I am a very good Catholic boy. I was a server, a mass server until I was about 16 years of age. And funnily enough, when I was in Castle my last year in Castle uh, I was the sacristan. Uh, for the for the priests, so I was the guy who organised the altar and the breads and the wine and all that sort of thing. Um, I found I brought up my boys, my three boys, in a kind of very strong Christian values and principles, and I like to think that they are you know, young adults now, young men uh, with those strong principles. But I found that we'll say at my age, I no longer need to go to mass every Sunday because my feeling is that I was brought up on that. It provided me with the structure that was giving me my values and principles for life. And that work is done. And I try to do the same for my own children and including my two stepchildren. They're Catholics as well. So I'm very much, I believe in God. I believe in the spirit. 
My faith would be that the spirit within me is God and that the part of me that is the great spirit is my spirit. So that's the oneness. So when I talk about being made in the image of God, so I would say, Stephen, when I sit down to meditate and I meditate for 20 minutes most mornings, practically every morning now, I say that I sit in the presence of God, the God within me. So I would go to Mass for um, special occasions, Easter, Christmas Eve. I love the Christmas Eve Mass in Ennis Cathedral. And obviously I go to weddings and funerals, but I don't, um, I no longer see the necessity to go to Mass every Sunday. And my meditation really is an expression of my Christian spirituality. Yeah, and your Christian beliefs. Yes, you know, I would be part, some people might recognise this, I would be part of a tradition where I can remember the Latin Mass and I would remember, for example, the Salve Regina, you know, that chant, that beautiful chant. So when I hear that on the radio or hear it somewhere, I, am, I can sing along with it because I still remember the words of the Salve Regina. And I love that aspect of my Christianity, that there are beautiful music, readings, stories that are very powerful so I you know I love that aspect of it poetry is one of my things and my wife sometimes says that uh, I say too much poetry or I do too much poetry um, but I find that um, quite a lot of the poets that I really love both American and Irish poets uh there is a spiritual element to their poetry and that very often when you're out walking in the burn or on the Iron Islands that I have an appropriate poem that uh, will suit the occasion and I can use to uh, make a point. So, um, yes, I mean, my, my favourite Irish poets um, would be uh, Seamus Heaney, whom I have a great love for and I use quite a lot of his work because I find... Uh, that his poems from the um, his period of spirituality. So he had the book called The Spirit Level. There are a number of poems in that that are really, really terrific. And some of them hark back to uh, the early Celtic church. And others then are related to the idea of using your senses to have spiritual experience. So his famous poem, Postscript, is very much, uh, very appropriate because it occurred in North Clare on the Flaggy Shore. Um, I use some of Yeats's poetry and I have a lovely poem by Michael Longley called The Ice Cream Man, which sounds unusual, but is very burn uh, related because it's got to do with the flowers of the burn. Um, with regard to American poets, my favourite American poet is Mary Oliver who actually died in uh, possibly two years ago or three years ago. Um, but she has fantastic poetry that is very influenced by her God being a creation God. So she went out into the woods and she would see things in the woods that harked of her God based on creation. And they're very appropriate for the burn. And I just love some of her poetry. And she has some very good positive affirmations as well. Another American poet I love is Wendell Berry, who has some um, beautiful poems, again, that are very grounded. And then one poet uh, that I 
that used to go walking in the burn with John O'Donoghue was um, David White. So I used some of his poems, and he actually has a poem called Coleman's Bed, which was specifically written around um, Coleman's Hermitage in Schlieve, Karen. So very often I'll say that poem, even though it's a long poem. Um, so I find poetry... I mean, Mary Oliver has, some, has a great quote about poetry. She says that poetry is like uh, when you're cold, it provides a fire. And when you're lost, it drops a rope down to you so that you will be pulled to safety. And that it's like uh, bread in the, the, the pockets of poor people. So in other words, that poetry in particular situations can be nourishment and in very much spiritual nourishment. And it's in that sort of frame of mind that I, I kind of use it. Mm. And I mean, I find that you, when, when you meet people who are into poetry, you discover that um, poetry helps them in various situations in their life. So when they're feeling down, there's a poem that picks them up. When they're feeling joyous, there's a poem that expresses their joy. And I suppose the thing, Stephen, that uh, people find unusual about me is, is that I have the poems off by heart. So that when I'm out in the burn, I could recite one or maybe over 20 poems. And sometimes I would be talking about a poem, maybe a Seamus Heaney poem, and somebody would say to me, oh, yes, I know that poem. Have you ever heard of such and such a poem by Seamus Heaney? And I will say, not only have I heard it, I can recite it for you. <laughs> and they find that very, un- yeah. very unusual. But um, so, yeah, poetry, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a very strong thing. And uh, I find that rec- recitation of poetry, you know, like poetry is very often the written word. But I find when you say poems out loud, and particularly if you have a group around you and you're able to recite a poem for them and maybe give them the context of the poem, then it becomes more meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, poetry is very much uh, a very central part of of. My walks. Yes. Obviously... I hope I don't bore people out of their wits by all my poetry, (laughs) but... I'm sure that's part of the appeal and and what people love is, you know, to get that link between the poetry and the landscape. Yes. And the history. I mean, it's those three coming together, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I I would have some... I would know some of John O'Donoghue's um, uh, poems and prayers from... Uh, various books of his and some of his sayings as well which I use so I would use a lot of affirmations as well as the poetry I'd also use affirmations uh, for kind of positivity and positive thinking and to focus people's minds on something and then of course yeah story as well story and mythology and have fun around stories you know that are kind of completely over the top but at the same time people enjoy to hear, hearing them because very often they're looking at the some the thing that the story is about yeah. so it's not something abstract in the distance is that they're actually there well thank you Pars, for sharing your your life really with us mm. uh, and your walks uh, just uh, tell us the name of your website again it's walkwithpious.com so Very that's good. where you'll get to me and you'll see events that I organise. But mostly, if you want to have a walk with Pius, you have to pick up the phone or send me an email and arrange a walk. That's the best way to do it. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, this evening. And uh, we wish the weather uh, comes good. And also, we look forward to lots of American visitors coming over, spending days and days in the Burren, walking around with you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Stephen. 
This podcast is produced by the Beyond Belief team. Join us on Sunday at a quarter to eight for Sunday prayer and at 9 p.m. for Beyond Belief. We are-